Hey, CA students, what a joy to get to open God's Word together tonight and continue on in our amazing series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Started off as a Dallas Willard quote, John Mark Comer turned it into a book, and we've turned it into a teaching series, really just looking at the practices of Jesus to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life and the true, abundant, peace-filled life that follows. I'm super excited. We're going to talk about another practice of Jesus tonight called simplicity, and I want to dive right in. Question for you guys. How many of you are overpackers? Okay, underpackers, you're welcome in this place, but I do not get you. I am a full-on overpacker, and I've got to say, I've spent a lot of time in life honing the skill of packing. I mean, for me, it's not about just having the right stuff and, you know, not needing anything when you get there. It's actually going a step further and being able to surprise and delight. So when we get to the hotel or the campsite, I don't just want my own pillow, which is great. I also want a few packets of my favorite bedtime tea that I can have before bed. Or maybe it's a Bluetooth speaker that I packed and the new card game that I went to Target and got and snuck in the backpack. I love packing. I find weird amount of joy in it. And I love the stuff that I get to bring with me on adventures. But... There's no place that my overpacking tendencies are more real and more regularly realized than at the beach. Anybody else? Yes? Yes? My favorite beachgoer item happens to be a big wagon that I can pull all of my other beach items in. I also pack a beach tent, extra towels, a cooler full of yummy snacks, great drinks, chairs, variety of sunscreen, you know, gotta have the lotion, gotta have the spray and some recreational activities, you know? Frisbee, snorkels, kids' beach toys. But then this summer, something happened. I showed up to a beach in Laguna with all of this stuff, plus carrying three Maui sunrises, which, if you know, you know. And after walking a few blocks from where I parked, I got to the beach path and realized there was 10 flights of stairs, at least, to get down to the sand and no ramp. Whoa. So I had to carry it all. All of this stuff that was supposed to make my beach experience better was all of a sudden the biggest burden ever. And so we proceeded to carry down our wagon, the beach tent, the extra towels, the cooler full of yummy snacks and drinks, the chairs, the variety of sunscreen, the frisbee, the snorkels, the kids' beach toys, and the kids' And don't forget the Maui sunrises. And let's just say I'm not yet ready to talk about the climb back up those staircases. <sighs> See, this experience, it made me realize something. That sometimes I own the stuff. And sometimes the stuff owns me. But it's not just this experience. See, I've also had the experience of having too much stuff be a problem when I'm trying to keep my room clean. Maybe you've experienced that as well. And have you ever thought about how much easier it would be to keep everything folded and put away if you just had less stuff, less clothes, less shoes, or less of whatever good thing ends up cluttering your room and making 
it nearly impossible to keep your closet organized and picked up. And stuff can cause other problems too, right? I mean, maybe you've got a small collection of musical instruments, but not enough time to play all of them, so they collect dust. Or maybe you have a bike that you feel like you've actually spent more time fixing and putting air in the tires than actually riding. And those are very real problems, but my guess is, like me, you've also experienced the deeper problems that comes along with Steph. The jealousy you feel when your friend got another new pair of shoes and you've been wearing the same ones all year. The amount of time you spend dreaming about the stuff in your future instead of enjoying your stuff in the present. Maybe you're stoked every time you get a new shirt or new shoes, but then that excitement wears off and you start wanting another new one a few weeks later. Maybe that same thing happened with your phone or your video game console. Now all of a sudden you're in almost a constant state of dissatisfaction, of discontentment, of thinking even subconsciously when you get that new outfit or that new phone or that new game, then you'll be good, at least for a month or so. So when does our stuff venture beyond the realm of helpfulness and enter the realm of burden? When does it go from being just stuff to being a source of hurry in our lives? And, and CA students, the main question I want to address tonight is, when does stuff stop being a solution to a problem and start causing problems? And how can we have a healthy relationship with stuff instead of an unhealthy one? We're going to look at what God's word has to say about this. Would you guys pray with me as we open it up? Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. God, that you give it to us as a gift to guide and instruct our lives, but ultimately to share the good news that we don't have to do this life alone, that we're saved by faith in you alone. God, that your grace is the thing to save us. Jesus, so thank you that all of this is covered in grace and that it's your grace that propels us to want to live lives of simplicity and be delivered from the problem of our stuff. We love you. We praise you. We exalt your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I have to admit that I used to be really confused when we would talk about money and stuff at church. I just didn't feel like it was that spiritual. Like, can we talk about loving God and loving others? Leave my very small bank account alone. Or I thought about how these talks must be for just like super rich people who owned like 10 fur coats and five Ferraris. And I'm a part-time lifeguard. I was back in college and a full-time student debt accruer. So clearly this talk is not for me. But then I actually read the Bible and I realized that, whoa, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money and stuff. And it actually has a lot to do with both loving God and loving other people. He, he taught about it to both the very rich and the very poor. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about our relationships to stuff. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Verse 15 starts like this. Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, a story to illustrate his point. 
the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things, stuff for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Wow. Okay, but he doesn't stop there, okay? Stay with me. Jesus continues. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Don't worry about your stuff. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he tells these two little stories to illustrate it based on birds and flowers, saying this is how God provides for the birds and the flowers. How much will he provide for you, his children? Jesus continues saying, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so what's the problem that Jesus identifies here? Like, is stuff evil? Well, no. Stuff is not inherently evil, but it does cause problems. And Jesus identifies two of them. He says it's about your relationship to the stuff. It's about the problems that stuff creates in your heart. And problem number one, Jesus says, is greed. Greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then to illustrate this point, he tells a story about a guy who ends up with more stuff than he needs. And the guy asks himself what he should do. What should he do about it? And his answer to himself is basically, well, I guess I need a bigger closet and more bins to organize my stuff. But Jesus has a different answer. He says it's to be rich towards God. If you are experiencing abundance, be rich towards God. To be rich in the eternal things. Be rich in generosity, rich in grace, rich in justice, rich in love. Jesus says here that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that word abundance in Greek, it's perisos, perisos. And it means excessive or above and beyond. The same root word shows up another time when Jesus is talking about life, but this time it's not about finding life in an abundance of possessions. It's about finding abundant life in Christ. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it excessively, have it above and beyond. Problem number two that Jesus identifies here is worry. Jesus says that there's a connection between worry and our stuff. 
He says, don't worry about your life. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. And instead of worrying, Jesus says once again to not focus on the physical stuff that makes up our day-to-day life, but on the things that are eternal, forever, lasting. He tells us to not, he tells us to get rid of our excess stuff. He tells us to get rid of our excess stuff and to be generous to people who need it the most. And then he ends up doing this whole teaching, ends up doing this whole, uh, ends this whole big, beautiful teaching with the why. He ends it with the why. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why. That's why, CA students. See, wherever you invest your time, your money, your mental energy, that's what has your heart. Our stuff can creep in and fill the space that only God was ever meant to occupy in our hearts. We can put our hope in it, our faith in it, our love in it. We can worship our stuff, bowing down to whatever it demands of us. If our phones demand more time, we obey. If our closets demand more of our money, we obey. Instead of laying down our life at the cross, we end up laying down our life at the mall. Instead of being comforted by the creator, we find comfort in the things created. Amazon is our portal to joy instead of the free gift of the Holy Spirit. But see, students, it's not all bad news. There's actually good news for us here. We find the story in the gospel, which means good news. Jesus says that we get to choose where our treasure is and therefore where our heart is if we are found in Christ, if we've given our life to him. See, a few years ago, Tyler and I decided to take God seriously in the area of generosity. And we realized we were trusting God with our eternity, but not really with our money. So we started tithing, which means we started giving back 10% of our income, all the money that came into us, to God, to the church. And let me tell you, it seemed completely crazy and counterintuitive at first. But then we started reframing the way we thought about it. It was no longer what amount can we get by with giving away. It was what amount can we get by with living on. We started praying that God would show us more opportunities to be generous. We started supporting a compassion child and a missionary and saving money each year to give to organizations we believe in, like December. And you know where our heart is increasingly found more and more? Caring about and praying for those people and those causes instead of the future stuff that we want. And we admittedly have a long way to go in this area. If you know me at all, then you know that I am a lover of stuff. I mean, I'm an overpacker for a reason, right? I struggle with this. But I just want to share this testimony, not to be like, look at me and how good we've done, but look at me and how absolutely broken I was and how by trusting God in small ways, he's come through and he's shown me release from the lies that stuff could ever fully satisfy. I've seen God work in my heart and life in bigger ways than I could have ever imagined. And CA students, I want that for you too. I want you to be free of the lie that more stuff equals more happiness because actually, oftentimes the opposite is true. Oftentimes, the opposite is true. And so how do we do this, okay? 
let's get practical. John Mark Homer in this book gives us some practices of how we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And in this area, he gives us the practice of simplicity, but actually it's a practice of Jesus that he points us to. And so here are 10 ways that we can practice simplicity. And I'm kind of going to cruise through these and maybe you can pick out a couple that stand out to you that you can start practicing right now. Okay, so number one, how to practice simplicity. Before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Not just how much is it going to cost you when you pay for it, $19.99, but how much time will this cost me? How much money do I need to spend additionally to use this well or to store it or to maintain it? I used to be obsessed, well, I still am obsessed with plants and having house plants, but I used to just want them like crazy and buy them like crazy. But then I realized, man, I have to buy new pots. I have to buy new soil. I have to spend money on watering them. I have to find places in my house to put them. I have to clear out other stuff to make room for this stuff. And I started realizing, what if I realized that, man, these plants take a lot of work. That's the true cost of this item, not just the $4.99 plant that I find at Trader Joe's. There's more to it. Okay, number two, before you buy something, ask yourself by buying this, am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? Am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? So I want you guys to consider why something might be so cheap. And if you know anything about economics, there's this concept called supply and demand. And by cutting down on the demand for some of these items that are harming the earth and oppressing the poor, ideally we would be able to cut down on the supply of them. A lot of this comes out in our lives through fast fashion, which is this idea that a lot of stores need to constantly be making new things that are made cheaply by people who are enslaved in labor. And just one small way that you can uh, practice this. Tyler and I uh, really think about the companies we buy from when we can. We're not perfect at this, but we're taking steps towards that. We wear a lot of stuff from a company called Patagonia, and this stuff is not cheap. So, so why would we spend more money on something when we could get it cheaper? Well, one of the reasons is Tyler used to work there, and so we got a lot of it at a big discount. But the other reason is because we realize that this company seeks to go by ethical standards by human beings and the planet so that the stuff is just made better and better for other people. And so this is just an example of ways that you can think about when you're buying something that's super cheap. What is the impact on the earth and other people of this item? And how can I make maybe a different or better choice? And so we can't all spend extra money on things that we need in the time. An alternative to this is to buy things secondhand, to thrift things, because then you're cutting down on the demand in the supply and demand chain. I often think about thrifting things uh, and talk about it. And people are like, oh, that's weird. I don't know. That's kind of gross. Maybe something like whatever, but I'm not going to get my shoes there. And as someone who's thrifted many pairs of shoes, it's, it's perfectly fine to do that. But I also just want you to think about as a follower of Jesus, how can you vote with your dollar to create the world that you want to create? Okay, number three, never impulse buy. If your friends are going shopping and you're like, this will be a fun social activity, think before you go about what you might actually need instead of just waiting for yourself 
to show up and get excited about an item and buy it right there on the spot. Go in with an idea of what you might want to buy or say, I'm just going to spend quality time with my friends. I don't actually need to buy anything today. Another thing to think about is we are about to drop some awesome CA students merch. We've got t-shirts, sweatshirts, beanies, and this is happening in a few days from now, but you can think now ahead of time what you might need or what you might need to do to clear out your closet, get rid of some stuff so that you're not just buying excess and having more than you actually need. You can also think about it in your bank account and think, okay, how can I save for this item and maybe not buy that other t-shirt I was going to buy because I'm going to intentionally buy this one. Number four, when you do buy, opt for fewer, better things. Opt for fewer, better things. I buy about one pair of Birkenstock shoes every other year and it lasts me those two years and those are my sandals for those two years. They last super long and I love that I only have to buy one pair of sandals for those two years. That's an example of buying fewer, better things. Number five, get into the habit of giving things away. This is just an awesome practice to free our hearts from getting too attached to our stuff. Number six, live by a budget. Think about the money you're spending. Don't just spend more than you have. Seven, learn to enjoy things by not owning them. Think about what can you borrow or share with somebody else? Maybe you don't actually need to own it on your own. You can borrow or share it from somebody else. And you can enjoy things without actually owning them and appreciate something in store and saying, I'm glad that thing exists. I can find joy that it exists. I don't actually have to own it. Number eight is cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. Sunsets don't cost anything. They're totally free. So are sunrises. Spend some time looking at the beautiful thing instead of having to always wear the newest beautiful thing. Number nine, recognize advertising for what it is. It's propaganda. It's trying to get you to feel something and to put your identity into something that you don't yet own and make you think that it's going to make you happier when we know that stuff isn't bad, but it does cause problems. Call out the lie of advertising for what it is. Number 10, finally, practice gratitude for the stuff you already own. I love this one. Whenever I find my heart desiring something new, wanting something new, I'll look at what I already have. I'll look around and be like, man, gosh, I'm just, I'm so thankful for this shirt. I love this shirt. I remember when I got this shirt, how, how much I loved it and how much it was exciting to me to have this new shirt in my wardrobe. I'm so thankful for this shirt. And that helps me, that practice of gratitude from feeling like I need another new thing. See, students, I want to tell you that it's not about comparing how much stuff you have or the type of stuff you have to other people. Other people aren't the measure. There are always going to be people with a lot more than us and a lot less than us. I want you to focus on comparing yourself to what Jesus says is the standard in the Bible. See, when we compare ourselves to others, it will either cause false confidence in how we're doing this simplicity or false guilt about it. Someone else might be really good at one area, and you might be really good at another area. That's great. See, the practice of simplicity, it's about becoming Jesus-formed in your relationship to stuff. So while, yes, this necessarily means considering the amount and the type of stuff that you own— it ultimately flows from a condition of the heart that recognizes that Jesus 
Jesus is the one who can satisfy. Not that new phone, not that new outfit, not that new game. What we're really longing for is heaven. And by becoming Jesus formed in our relationship to Steph, we can truly experience heaven on earth. And even more than that, we can be living examples of heaven on earth for other people. I mean, can you imagine if we actually did these things? Like how distinct we would be from the rest of the world. Can you imagine if we really were more content with less stuff? What if instead of spontaneous generosity, we practiced sustained generosity? What if when the new iPhone came out, we were able to look at our phone and thank God for the incredible gift of the phone that we already have? What if we actually could give to the poor in a way that practices restorative justice like the Bible talks about? CA students, let's do this together. Let's trust God with our stuff and experience the abundant life Jesus has for us. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the stuff that you've given us. Lord, the stuff that is here, physical, to meet our needs. But God, mostly thank you for the stuff eternal. Thank you for the kingdom of God that is coming to earth through us, Lord, by your power. Thank you for the grace that we've been given through our salvation, Lord, if we've given our lives to you. Thank you for all of the ways that you've blessed us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and the ways that you have yet to bless us that are stored up for us in our inheritance in heaven. We love you. We trust you. Would you help us in this area? Would you heal our relationship with our stuff so that it could actually go back to helping us with problems instead of being a problem in our heart? We love you. 